0: Gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 is underway. Wednesday edition. That means primary complaint coming up in about 45 minutes. Clay Travis is on today's show. We'll hit a variety of topics with Outkick's founder. Shannon Terry coming back in studio chat. A big show for him because we've got plenty to discuss with the University of Florida. And On3 has all things covered through the transfer portal. A.D. Mitchell, wide receiver at Georgia, entering the transfer portal as of today. We'll dive into that with Shannon Terry, the president, CEO, founder of On3. And coming up in uh, about 20 minutes, Bobby Carpenter talks all things NFL and college football with us. And Enos Cantor, freedom on the show in just a matter of minutes from right now. Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon, Hutton. Big show today. I'm excited about our primary complaints. This uh, afternoon, that's going to be good. And uh, this Jaden Rashada story is—it's one that we've been covering throughout, but it's not to me just limited to Florida. I think this is a case study in what's to come across college football. We are witnessing our first official holdout in the history of college football, and apparently, with the new information, that holdout is over because Jaden Rashada has asked out of his his uh, commitment to, to Florida and. It's not just in part, it's because the Gator Collective asked out of the contract that they signed with Jaden Rashada for $13 million owed the young man, and now he's free to go look elsewhere. Is he going to get that much money elsewhere? I don't know, but it's a fascinating story, and one we're going to get into with Shannon Terry, and they just released yesterday at On3, their final recruiting rankings players,
0: one through 300, at On3, so... It's going to be fun. And what they're building is a database that will have the player's instant and actual value for name, image, likeness at his current school, where he could be going, the schools he's looking at, and you can compare and contrast where he could go as an individual athlete. You could compare and contrast where you could go and find out how much more you could actually make through name, image, likeness. Uh, Rashada, $13 million. There's no way. No way he's getting that. We'll have Shannon say it though. I, I don't
1: I, unless there's some just level of desperation that we're not understanding, I, I don't get it either because I think he's a fifty fifth ranked player in that on three recruiting ranking overall, a four star guy
0: and number one is Nico.
1: no number one is Nico Yamaleava who reports that I saw that we've read about are two million a year, right? Mm-hmm. that's the most voice. that's eight million dollars. Okay, so doubling that with Rashad you're gonna go to thirteen million. Um, Chris Doring, who covers the SEC for SEC Network, former Florida receiver under Steve Spurrier, some great teams. I know he said in an interview, "I'm glad my alma mater didn't pay because that young man's not worth it. Yeah, not worth 13 million dollars. So it's just it's a sticky situation, regardless. Because what we're hearing and what's not being disputed from the Gator Collective is that he signed a contract and the Gator Collective signed a contract that they later wanted to tear up.
0: That's a problem." That's going to be a problem for Florida in recruiting. We'll talk to Shannon Terry about it. The Detroit Lions are keeping their offensive coordinator a bit of of a surprise because he had chatted with uh, some other opportunities across the league, but he's not going to wait, Ben Johnson, on the Houston Texans or the Carolina Panthers who are waiting to see what happens with their coaching search and ultimately what Sean Payton wants to do. Uh, The Panthers are talking with Sean Payton later this week. The Texans have already wrapped up conversations with him, the Broncos as well. Offensive coordinator for the Lions, I can't believe we're saying this, but phenomenal job by Ben Johnson who got head coaching interviews, but he's sticking around with Dan Campbell at least for another year because he doesn't want to sit and wait while the Lions need an answer and while he's battling Sean Payton's decision and he doesn't really know what's going to go down there good call though because he's young he's got plenty of opportunity there in detroit with what they're bringing back offensively and chad they should be pretty good he's instantly going to be one of the hot names that people are going to discuss with coaches on the hot seat a year from now i also
1: think that it ups his street cred in terms of viability for the next job if you are taking your name out of the hat because you don't want to wait around for a team that needs to figure it out i kind of like that power play from a young guy to say oh you don't want to hire me right now And you want to wait on Sean Payton? See ya. I'm happy with my job right now in Detroit. I'll go somewhere a year from now that really values me and wants to hire me right away. And I'm going to get that opportunity. He's betting on himself in this, that he's young and he's a good coach and he's going to get other opportunities.
0: And I respect the man for that. The Titans have hired their general manager, Rand Carthon, from the San Francisco 49ers. He was their director of player personnel. And now he is the general manager of the Titans, pairing up with Mike Vrabel to run the organization here in Nashville. And he comes with a background where he's had experience in a little bit of everything, much more pro scouting than college scouting. But, Chad, the, the timeline that was released yesterday, I think, is a bit late in regards to how it all went down, uh, where the, the reports where they were having their second interviews with the club. I think those second interviews took place over the weekend. And they wrapped up yesterday. And Vrabel was involved in those. So I think the, the announcement was, oh, here's the second wave of interviews. Vrabel now gets involved. And then before you know, you could get the story out on the three finalists, he was hired. And I think he was the last guy to come through the building as a second interview. And they already kind of knew that's who they wanted. Yeah, and it
1: looks like uh, the Titans were one of six NFL franchises that had never hired uh, a minority GM or head coach, and now you can mark them off the list for that. Now I look at this, and I think that's just the direction they were going to go this time. They decided it's either going to be an in-house candidate or a minority candidate from the outside. They end up hiring Rand Carthon. I like the hire for the Titans. If you're looking at organizations that you want to target, for your next GM, I'm looking at you, San Francisco, and the 49ers, so I'm yep. glad they went and, and grabbed someone from that organization. I think his track record speaks for itself and where he's been and having played a little bit in the NFL also. I think it's a good move uh, for the Titans, and uh, you know now they cross crossed their names off that list also. But it does, to me at least, appear that that was part of the criteria for where they were looking
0: for their next GM. We will get back to that story. Bobby Carpenter will join us coming up in about 15 minutes. But we're pleased to be joined by Enos Cantor Freedom, uh, who spent 11 years in the NBA, would like to continue playing. We'll get into that. Uh, But most recently, due to his uh, speaking out against the human rights violations uh, across the globe, but specifically in his home country of Turkey, uh, they have put out a bounty on Enos Cantor Freedom for $500,000. And he found out while he was in Vatican City at a basketball camp. And he's now back in the States, I presume. Uh, Enos, thank you for the time, man.
2: No, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it.
0: How did you find out about the bounty for your capture?
2: You know, I was actually, like you said, you mentioned, I was doing a basketball camp in uh, Vatican for, you know, Muslims, Jews, Christians, and Catholic kids. And I remember right after the basketball camp, um, I got the news. And as soon as I got the news, I was like, I just didn't know what to do. You know, I had a, a conversation with uh, FBI and some of my friends on the ground immediately. And they told me to get back in America as soon as possible. Um, so the next morning, next flight, I took uh, I took the flight, you know, landed in, in America. And I had a conversation with, uh, you know, some of my friends on the ground. And they said this uh, bounty could be very, very uh, serious because uh, they said they were hearing that some, you know, people out there like, you know, professional hitmen or even one of my friends mentioned actually even serial killers. I know I'm sounding maybe too crazy, but, you know, mafias and, and cartels could be after uh, my case. So it's uh, it's been very difficult the last four or five days, but I have so many people uh, reached out, you know, all around the world and uh, showing uh, lots of uh, support.
1: It's a scary situation, and, and I know that there are other people on that list from the yeah. Turkish government also. Is there any training that goes on with this, Enos? When you hear that you know you're on this list and there's a bounty and the FBI is on the phone with you, do they give mm-hmm. you advice on how to handle things now moving forward? Is there a line you can call or someone with the FBI or a- another American authority that you can go to mm-hmm. in terms of of how to handle this situation now?
2: So I'm not the like I'm, I'm trying to tell people I'm not the only one on that list. Actually, there are so many other innocent journalists or innocent, you know, uh, academics, professor, athletes, celebrities are on that list just because of they don't think the same way what Erdogan thinks, you know, they are uh, opposition. So if in a a country like Turkey, if you say anything or if you tweet anything, uh, anything against uh, Erdogan or Erdogan's regime, you'll be in jail the next day. Actually, it's a crazy story. So I have a manager and my manager's wife is actually is Turkish. So her dad liked one of my posts on Twitter. He was in jail for 13 days just for liking one of my posts on Twitter. So this is a crazy story. But, wow. uh, you know, I, I do feel secure in, in America. I had a conversation with FBI, and I believe they have this uh, squad called uh, Guardian Squad. So they are, you know, very, you know, I've been in touch with them. I don't want to give too much detail, but I, I have been in uh, touch with them. The last three four days and they told me like whatever you need let us know actually around two years ago when i was playing for portland uh, Blazers, uh again there was so many death threats and i was actually staying in a uh, in an apartment and they told me to i gotta move to a hotel because it's more secure you have to go upstairs with the card and stuff um so when i was in a road game actually fbi came to my room and they set up this thing called panic punish- Button. They said, whenever you feel uncomfortable, you know, push that button, and we'll be there in two or three minutes. I mean, it's crazy because you look at all my interviews, all my op-eds. You look at everything I have said so far. None of them was political. The only thing I talk about is human rights violations and political prisoners around the world. And just because of that, it is bothering so many other, uh, you know, dictators, and it's bothering Turkish uh, dictators too. But and they're going to do whatever they can to shut me up. But uh, so far, it's not working for sure.
0: Enes cantor freedom. Our guest on now kick three hundred and sixty. Human rights activist, but you were already on the most wanted list. Considered a terrorist in your home country. Now the bounty. What did yep. you say that took it to the next level? At least in your own mind.
2: Well, I mean, I have been, I have been, you know, critics of uh, President Erdogan since the, he took, since the day he took to office um You know unfortunately there are so many uh, if you look at Turkey right now, Turkey plays a very important role in the Middle East because it could have be the bridge of Islam and West uh and right by right now there are so many human rights violations are happening over there and so many I believe Turkey is the number one country in the world that put the most journalists in a jail. So um I mean think about if a journalist is writing something against the regime and the next day the police coming in, and literally putting him, and his family in jail. It is unacceptable. So uh, I think the one thing that I have, uh, I was uh, talking about how Erdogan government is playing with the West. Uh, I wrote an uh, op-ed to Time uh, Magazine and I was pretty much uh, saying how he is manipulating the West and how Biden administration should be way tougher on Erdogan because I remember the day biden took to uh office the first thing he was saying there's only one that the biggest problem in middle east there's actually actually a video on youtube the biggest um problem in middle east is erdogan and we have to do something about it and there are so many human rights violations that are happening so it's been almost it's been over two, two years now he took to office and there's he has not done a thing yet you know and i'm still waiting for it um so i'm just I'm just very frustrated at at this point, so I wrote an op-ed and obviously became viral. And Erdogan said, "Enough is enough. Just go take out this man, and whoever achieve it, I'll give him a five hundred thousand dollars." And it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Are you scared? Good question. Not in America. I mean, I if anywhere else in the world, yes. But I know that I'm being very well protected in America by the you know police department, local police department, FBI. And I'm I'm pretty much talking to them every day. They're actually <laughs> becoming my good friends now because we have so many conversations. But um you know they many of my friends told me that I do not leave America for the next at least two months. So I am just you know in America now. The crazy thing to me man, you know what frustrates me so much, I so six years ago Turkish government revoked my passport and put my name on Interpolis. I was a green card holder, and I could not travel six years because my name was on Interpolis and I did not have a passport. And now finally, I'm an American citizen, I got my American passport, and now they telling me, do not travel. That is like, I cannot believe I'm getting this threats. American citizen getting this threat in a US soil. So it's really frustrating, man, but I think it just comes, it's like, it's the price of, I'll say freedom.
1: And speaking of America, the American League, the NBA, um, you've been critical of of some of the NBA stars, you've been critical of business practices with the NBA. You clearly still like basketball and love the sport, working at a camp in, in Vatican City. Can you still be a fan of the NBA, given everything that's gone on right now? Do you watch the sport? Do you care at all about what's going on with that league, given your experience?
2: I'm a fan of basketball. I think basketball is an amazing tool to bring, you know, kids, people together. You know, I had one, I had had so many basketball camps, but the most special one I had probably was in Jerusalem because we brought... You know christians jews uh muslim kids israelis and palestinians and we did not talk about no conflict we did not talk about no any kind of political stuff but we just focused on basketball same thing i had one in vatican so i am a huge fan of basketball but you know what made me really sad and broke my heart really bad after this bounty news pretty much like thousands of people reached out Not one of my teammates, not one of my coaches, not any, not one person that, that has anything to do with NBA reached out to me. And I was like, man, I played 11 years in this league. I had hundreds of teammates. I had hundreds of coaches. I had so many people who worked at front offices. Not one of them reached out. I was like, what did I do? What did I do for only thing I have done so far? Just talking about human rights violations around the world. Like, what did I do to those? my teammates you know what did i do to my coaches they were like my brothers you know so all of a sudden now i am this guy that then it's like they i don't know if you ever watched like i make this joke like i don't know if you ever watched like harry potter uh guy names Voldemort, he who should not be named yeah. this is literally they view me yes i just cannot understand just because of why i won you know, peace and freedom and the markers in some of the countries out there in the world that makes me a bad guy. And now they're scared to even pick up the phone and say, Hey man, you know, we just heard the news. Sorry. We're pre- praying for you. That's seriously all I uh, needed, but no, nothing, man, not one athlete reached out.
1: And you've been in those locker rooms. You've been with different teams. You've been in the <laughs> league, you know, how things operate at times. Enos, do you think that they're being ordered and told not to reach out to you and not to have any contact with you from their bosses within the team and within the league?
2: I played in five different teams, and I had hundreds of teammates. I promise you, I never called them my teammate. I called them my brothers because they were so close to me, so close to me. Um, Some of the things that happened in my life before this China thing, they were my biggest supporter. Whenever I walked in a locker room, they were saying, hey, man, we are here for you. Let us know. The day I talked about China, the day I, I criticized Nike, the day I said NBA is bowing down to dictatorship, my phone, I promise you, I can show you my recently called the text messages, not one of my teammates reached out. And to me, they're still my brothers. I still actually, I don't watch any NBA games, but I still check my, you know, my, my brother's, Um, stats and see what they're doing and see if they're healthy or not. But it just breaks my heart, man. I did not do anything bad. I did not say anything wrong or I did not say anything legal. All I want is that there's a genocide happening in China and we have to stand up for it. Nike, the biggest hypocritical company in the world, or NBA, stop bowing down to Chinese dictatorship. This is not political, this is human rights because human rights is about politics. And so just because of I talk about this stuff, it makes it makes me a bad guy and they're even scared to reach out to me. Enos. Um, I believe they're being told that do not reach out to us, do not text or call him. just act like he's not existing.
0: Enos Cantor, freedom our guest, uh, uh, human rights activist. And right now, he has a bounty for his capture in his home country of Turkey, and he joins us here in the United States. Just a, a personal question: I, I'm just curious who do you who do you trust with all this going on? I know you you likely have friends that you trust from years ago, but I would imagine it's very difficult to make friends and allow them into your inner circle.
2: Yeah, um, you know it's. Uh... It's a tough situation because at this point I don't know who to trust. I I really don't know. I mean, all my my whole life it was all about NBA and basketball, and now they left me alone. My even own mother or my father cannot even pick up the phone and call me and say, "Hey man, hi hi son, how you doing?" You know, so that's not going to happen. So, I mean, I am a citizen of America, and I'm ex- I'm expecting obviously the Biden or forget about President Biden, but someone from the Biden administration come out and just say this is unacceptable. That's literally all I need. But I'm I'm not hearing that I am not hearing that. Um, Good question. I really don't know who to trust at this point anymore, because everyone that I have trusted so far just left me alone out there. You know, so at this point, I'm really not sure.
1: Well, we're thrilled that you're an American citizen. Yes. By, by the way, uh, hearing this story and it, it's a compelling one, uh, and it certainly puts things into perspective about mm-hmm. what we have here. It's not perfect, of course, but what we have here versus <laughs> what other countries are going through uh, with everything yeah. you're bringing to light. So, that, thank you for telling your story.
2: Let me let me let me tell you like the last this last thing. Just like you, you said it perfectly. I remember it was like around two years ago. I remember, you know, I was in a locker room with some of my teammates and obviously they were criticizing America. They were saying this all kind of stuff and I stopped them. I was like, listen, this summer after the season, let me buy your ticket, first class ticket. Let me buy your ticket and let's go to some of the countries out there like Russia, like Iran, like Venezuela, like Cuba, like North Korea, like Nicaragua. And I can go on and on, you know, and you guys can see what you're on like China. You guys can see with your own eyes what a dictatorship looks like. You know, you guys can tweet and say whatever you want in this country, but if you go to those countries and you say anything against the regime, you will be in jail the next day. You will, No one will hear from you ever again. But I just wish I can take those my teammates who criticize America to those countries and be like, sit yourself.
0: There's so many uh, people that are, will agree with everything you're saying. Not many will mm-hmm. sacrifice what you're sacrificing. Um, and I know you realize that too, but, uh, thank you for what you're doing. And we, we appreciate course, the time here today too. Hopefully this is the first of, of another visit down the road.
2: Of course, man. Thank you for giving me the platform. I appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. Follow uh, Enos on Twitter at Enos Freedom. Enos Cantor Freedom has been our guest. Uh, craziness. Can you imagine getting the phone call? So say, uh, Withrow, there's a bounty out for you.
1: Well, and the inability to talk to his parents, you know, to, to yeah. know that he's not going to be able to go back to Turkey and visit family. And I think you asked a great question about, at this point, who do you trust? If all of your old friends were centered around basketball and teammates and coaches, and then they turn on you and won't speak to you, then if you meet new people, well, you, you meet people you. knowing yeah. what's going on. So what do they want or what's happening? Um, it's, it's, it's a story worth telling and I'm thrilled that he's an American citizen. And again, for me, and hopefully for a lot of people that see that or or listen to that interview, it really puts things into perspective about just how great we have it in this country in so many ways for all of our little problems at times. And some are bigger than others. He's right to talk to his teammates about, let's go to some of these places that are under a dictatorship and look at what that really looks like where you tweet something out negative about someone and you disappear it's a different world out there and he's telling
0: a lot of people that don't understand that world about that world and i think it's amazing work that he's doing just getting started for 360 on this wednesday edition we've got primary complaint a bit later this hour clay travis later in the show and next bobby carpenter right here on outkick 360 Let's head to Ohio. Bobby Carpenter joins us. Time to talk some college and maybe a little NFL football on OutKick 360 across the OutKick Network. Bobby, how are you, man?
3: I'm good, man. I apologize. I got to follow Enos Cantor there. I mean, I haven't done anything great in my life like him. So uh, we'll just try to sit here and talk a little bit about sports and maybe not about uh you know saving humanity yeah uh yeah.
1: sometimes you know just good enough is uh, is okay bobby we can't all be great right like Enos. so we'll just be good enough in this segment how about that
3: well i guess i mean you guys are probably in the same company as me i don't i don't know what all you've been doing but probably not to the level of venus so the 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 level of conversation just dropped dramatically for everybody
0: <laughs> well let's let's transition as best we can to kevin warren is now with the chicago bears he's running that organization who should run the Big Ten and why?
3: Ooh, that's a big question right there. Um, you know, and it's it's interesting when you look at what the Pac-12 and the Big 12 did, bringing people out of public industry or private industry, rather, that were really relatively unknowns as far as any type of college governance or academia, which I think was smart because I think they needed that. They needed to be innovative. They needed to be receptive. And a lot of people in traditional academia, they they move at a glacial pace. They're not used to making big decisions. They don't like the public spotlight, and they kind of shy away from that. And we saw that happen in a lot of places during COVID, and people, I don't think, realize that there would be repercussions for you know, trying to stop football and other sporting events. And They're used to just making decisions in isolation, and people just accept them and live with them. But that's not leadership. Leadership is when you have to ultimately make a decision, and people challenge it, And understand how it's going to impact everybody and what it's going to be. So if they go with someone from private industry, guys, heck, they could, who knows who they'd be pulling out. Um, I do know, you know, the ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips, you know, I think that they're pretty happy with what he's done in the ACC over the last three to four years, he was kind of dumped in the same situation as Kevin Warren. He was part of the conversation uh, to potentially be the Big Ten commissioner at that point before they went with Warren. He has a history in the Big Ten. He was the athletic director at Northwestern, Um, you know, I think which gets a lot of people in the Big Ten excited. They want to have someone up there with a great academic reputation as well. Uh, But I like what Jim Phillips has done with the ACC. You know, he's, he's done the best with you know bad situation in some sense, and you look at how he pieced together COVID and put, pulled Notre Dame in there. I, I think he's done a, a really good job, so it wouldn't surprise me if it's him. People have kicked around Gene Smith at Ohio State. You know, Gene's a little older right now. I don't know if he wants that challenge. And I think the next person that you hire in the Big Ten, you're probably looking at this as a decade-long job where Jim Delaney was there for a long time. You look at the tenure of Greg Sankey. Some of these commissioners have been there, you know, six, seven, eight plus years. And you look at them probably being there for another, you know, seven to 10 more. And so when you get a guy like Gene, who I'm guessing he's probably in his low 60s, upper 50s, probably not something he's going to want to do. He's got a good job at Ohio State and likes it. So, for my money, I'd say Jim Phillips, ACC commissioner, is probably the number one choice. And if he doesn't want it for some reason, well, then I think you probably have to open up the search and begin to look.
1: Time to talk to a Buckeye about the Wolverines. So, wild time uh, to be in Ann Arbor right now. A day after... Santa Ono, the president of University of Michigan, announces that Jim Harbaugh is coming back. Nothing to do with the, the AD Ward Manuel. Completely out of it. Says I'll be informing the AD that the head coach has informed me that he's coming back. A day after that, the uh, associate offensive coordinator we find out has been on administrative leave and not recruiting because of alleged computer crimes that happened in Sham Beckler Hall. Uh, crazy time right now at Michigan. How do we make sense of everything going on? And then on top of that, Bobby, there's an NCAA investigation into Jim Harbaugh happening right now.
3: And there's a lot there. Obviously, they, you know, they made the CFP the last two years. They've had a lot of success uh recently. It looks like Jim Harbaugh is going to be staying. You know, he, he made a statement about how he loved there, you know, wants to be back there. You feel like everything's good. I we talked to John U Bacon, Jacob Pester and I did yesterday, who's just tied into anything you're going to find up at Michigan. He's been covering him for a long time. And he's got the ear of a lot of people uh, that are very important. And, you know, he thought Jim Harbaugh's new contract would probably bring in somewhere around $10 million. So it's, you know, big boy money as far as coaching goes. And that would help offset some of the the, the pay cut he took during COVID. You know, after he goes to two CFPs, you could argue, yeah, he should be paid like an elite coach. Uh, but a big part of it, too, was also getting dollars for uh your assistant coaches, but then also trying to get together on NIL. That's one thing a lot of schools in the North have been struggling with in the big 10, um, you know, Michigan, especially, you know, I think that they've looked at this and we don't need it, but the reality is if you're going to recruit elite level players, even from your region of the country, you're going to have to be involved on in the NIL front in some manner. So he realized this, he's understood it. If he's going to be there, they're going to have to be in the game. Uh, him and Ward Manuel, I don't think they really get along. John U. Bacon insinuated as much. They maybe did for a while, but that relationship is soured. And that's why you have Soto, the president, coming out and making these statements. Now, Soto was down at Cincinnati and he was there, you know, an integral and bringing in Luke Fickle. So while Michigan, you know, champions himself as this big academic university and elite medical center, and all those things are true, I think Soto does understand that it's a lot easier to raise money. And it's a lot easier to be popular and make decisions as the president if you have a good football team. And I think people are starting to realize that now that, you know, academics can be very important and everything is, can be huge. But the first thing that comes up when people start complaining and this and that, when you go ask raising money, what's going on with our football team? What's going on with our basketball team? So if those things are in a good spot, you know what? It's a lot easier to go out and be, be able to, to raise money. And, and he had an unbelievable line yesterday Um john Bacon did we were talking to him and he said it he was talking to uh uh pat fitzgerald over at northwestern and some of their staff and they're like yeah it's a big academic institution and he goes it's also important for our students to have fun when they're here because if they had a good time in school you're going to have a much easier time asking them to write a check for 20 million dollars when they're 50 years old than if they didn't enjoy their college experience
1: bobby Kendall Bryles, as of about two hours ago, reports have him leaving Arkansas to take the offensive coordinator job at TCU. This feels like a lateral move to me. Uh, I'm a little surprised that after one big run from TCU, and maybe it's something to do with the division, I, I, I don't know, but are you a little bit surprised that a coach at Arkansas in the SEC is leaving for the Big 12 and TCU for the same position and not moving up to be a head coach?
3: Uh, You know, that's, it's a very interesting uh, conundrum there when you start looking at it. Um, And obviously, you know browse connection to the state of Texas home is a very powerful lure always, as you'll see. And there's some guys that may give up, you know, position. They may give up salary. Now we'll wait to see what the salary looks like. You would think that Arkansas would be able to pay more, but you know, TCU doesn't have the biggest fan base and the biggest alumni base in the world, but it is in DFW. They did just make the CFP. And maybe they were able to scratch up some cash and, you know, get him on close to equal footing. And a lot of it, guys, it may just be the fact that he wants to get back closer to home, you know, with the success that his dad had in the state of Texas and wanting to get back there. And maybe he sees an easier path uh, to being able to make the college football playoff at TCU than maybe you have at Arkansas. It does seem a little bit lateral, but, you know, you look at the offense out there that, uh, Sonny Dykes has been putting out, and you know, he's he'll probably, I'm guessing he'll let Bryles call his own stuff. And if you have another great year, you know, who's to say that if a job opens in the Big 12, that he might not be on the, you know, the cutting edge of that? TCU's got a lot of grad transfers that are coming in there, very desirable place. And, you know, I, I've never been up to Northwest Arkansas, and I'm not going to besmirch it, but living in DFW isn't too bad either.
0: Bobby Carpenter, our guest. You know what it's like to play for the Dallas Cowboys. The pressure to win in the postseason. It's just different, right? What do you think it's like there this week, getting that first playoff win? It came on the road against Tampa. They're the inferior opponent. But now going on the road to San Francisco, one of those old school rivalries that we remember back in the day. It's rekindled this weekend. What's it going to be like for the Cowboys if they win that and go to the NFC title game?
3: I mean, if you look through like the early 80s, you know, early 90s, mid 90s, I mean, those are some of the classic matchups you're going to find is Dallas and San Fran and the, the colors, the uniforms that contrast beautifully on the field. Uh, so it's exciting to see that uh, when you have your kicker, Maurer, and he's missed, uh, you know, four extra points in a row. And as I watched him hook the f- push the first two, I looked at my wife and go, 10 bucks, he hooks this thing. <laughs> like, there's no way he's not going to overcorrect. Like, That's me on the golf course. I'm pushing it, pushing it. Next thing you know, boom, rip one right off to my left. And here's the problem they have. I mean, that was the best game Dak played all season long. Their offense looked as good as anyone. Now, you know, maybe that's some of that's a function of Tampa's defense, you know, and their inability to get pressure and their defensive backs look just woefully overmatched. Uh, But they looked really competent on offense. They're moving the ball well. That defense, I think, is pretty good. They're checking a lot of boxes. And now the one thing you have is a kicker who's missed four extra points. Now, good thing for him he was able to watch one go through the uprights before the end of the game cuz you can kick a million of them in practice guys you know that you can sit out there hit balls on the range and kicking is a lot like golf i mean its that swing is similar and you can hit them on the range all day but if you don't see one go uh, hit a good shot in a critical moment in a big t- a big spot like that's going to matter now the best thing for dallas it was a, the lights were bright but it really wasn't all that critical given the fact of the score so they could let him work through that process and they didn't have to worry about him potentially losing them the game. So they had that going for him. But here's the conundrum now. Do you ride it out with him and hope that he gets it corrected? And and maybe he does. Probably a good chance that he does. If you look at his numbers, I think he was a 90% field goal kicker throughout the season. And he had only missed three, two or three extra points and one being the last one, obviously the regular season. But if you make a move, people always like, oh, make the move. It'll be better. There's the beta era where if you make the move and it's actually worse. And then you bring in a guy who might, you know, shank one, a 35-yard field goal or miss something else. So you'll always be second-guessing it. I think if you bring a guy in, I think you you, you dance with the girl you brought. You trust that they're going to get it fixed. I love Dak's comments after the game talking about how he played like crap the week before and he trusts that he'll get it back together. If your teammates still believe in you, that means a lot as a player and I think that they'll get it fixed, but they're going to need to, man, because that, that Niners defense with Fred Warner and Nick Bosa breathing down your neck, it will not be that easy for Dak this weekend.
0: It's going to be a great game. I, I can't wait to watch the the NFC divisional matchup between the Cowboys and the Niners. Bobby, thank you as always, man. Great perspective, and we'll catch up next week.
3: Absolutely, guys. i got to go train my son now. I'll try to get him working out to make sure he gets off the couch, so I appreciate right, it. you trained him
1: with how he needs to behave at that Ohio State-Michigan game. And now you're training well, him uh, physically. I, I like it. I, I love it, Bobby. Uh, Keep it up.
3: It's a little bit of discipline in kids' life. Never hurt them that much. I mean, we try to always just hug them to death now. But I'm like, sometimes we got to say no and like, let's go and be a be- better version of yourself.
1: There is a situation going on on my neighborhood Facebook page right now that we may get into tomorrow. That echoes <laughs> exactly what you're saying. That there needs to be a little bit more discipline with kids in, in this life. Hey. I'm, I'm with you, Bobby. Chad's the father for that. I'm, I'm with you, Bobby. I tell...
3: I tell my friends and our neighbors and everybody, I'm like, listen, as long as my kids don't come home with a black eye, unjustified, then we're good. If there's marks on them, you got to explain it to me, but I'm always going to err on the side of the parent as opposed to believing a child. So- that's the problem now is everybody gets so sensitive about people yelling at their kids. But I appreciate it, gentlemen. Have fun. I look forward to hearing that conversation tomorrow, Chad.
1: Let's start a parenting podcast, Bobby. You and me, for <laughs> our kid. Just a, a dad podcast
0: where we just talk about how to discipline your kids. I think this will be great. Absolutely. Thanks, Bobby. Good to see you. There's uh, Bobby Carpenter. Follow him on social at bcarp3. You can catch him on SiriusXM channel 84. Uh, he and Jacob Hester with the show there. Coming up, primary complaint around the corner, Shannon Terry from On Three and Clay Travis on Outkick 360.
3: You ready?
2: Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy.
3: We'll do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes.
0: From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, kick 360 rolls on. Hutton Withrow with you. Chad was uh, previewing a, a big storyline in the, the neighborhood uh, in Chad's neck of the woods. I don't want to... I'll let you get I, the I details got, if you want. I got a text last
1: night from a neighbor friend of mine about 9.45, and he said... Log on now. The, the text said, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm pretty much quoting exactly, Bro... Go to the neighborhood Facebook page right now. Thank me later. And I went to it, and the first post that I saw was, oh, my. And then below that, I saw 34 comments to that post. I'm thinking, here we go. Here goes my I know what I'm doing the next 20 minutes right now. I'm not watching the rest of Rogue Heroes, I'll tell you that much. I'm watching my neighborhood Facebook page, and it did not disappoint. And we may bring that to the show tomorrow.
0: We bring to the show every Wednesday at this time, primary complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want.
3: My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings.
0: It's time for a Primary Complaint on Outkick 360. Chad, among the many slogans I may recite from time to time, two that come to mind immediately for me. Number one, it's not if you lose, it's how you lose. It's a good one. Number two, I don't meet for the sake of meeting. I meet for the sake of doing.
1: Also a good one.
0: When a meeting can be an email, when an email can be a text, and when a text can be saved until normal business hours, I would ask that that is the general rule of thought moving forward in every walk of life, uh, in every business sense, especially. And you know, I would prefer that if it's not productive, it's not time-consuming. That's my primary complaint. Hutton, king of productivity.
1: Uh, and I, by the way, I do love your... I didn't uh, say that. Not, if you lose, it's how you lose. That's one of my favorite things. And I often quote Hutton uh, <laughs> when talking about a game uh, when, I, when I hear that. My primary complaint has to deal with the Sheridan-verse. I like Taylor Sheridan. I like all of his works of fiction. I'm a fan of Yellowstone. I'm a fan of 1883. I think I got the year right. Now he's got another year show called 1923 with Harrison Ford, And Helen Mirren, terrific entertainment. We all like Kevin Costner. He's an American film star. And now he's on television with Yellowstone. I enjoy the show. Very entertaining. Here's what I don't like, though. If you're going to create a universe... And you're going to have the Sheridan verse, another great show that he's doing right now, Tulsa King. He's got other things coming out. What should not happen when you make a show and it becomes so popular that you make two prequels and those shows line up at the same time is take a break at the exact same time with both shows. you got to give the people what they want. Give them some nibbles. You don't starve them. This is not dry January. This is not time to fast completely. If you're going to take a six-month break on Yellowstone for a mid-season finale, seven episodes in the first half, seven episodes after that, then don't end 1923 on January 1st and not come back until February 5th when those episodes are ready. we got four more episodes to go. We should be having this time right now instead of taking a month off from both shows to have more 1923. It's simple planning. It's a simple schedule. I don't have to tell you how to write your shows. You're doing a better job than I would with that. Let me handle logistics. Let me handle the schedule, and things could be even more successful for you, Paramount Company. That is my primary complaint. Let's start with just this
0: question. Why are both shows out at the same time? Explain they, that to hey, me. Hey,
1: that's another good one. They could have mid-season finale on in late December, right? Right for the holidays yeah. for Yellowstone. And you know what they could have done, Hutton? A week later, start the 1923 for eight straight weeks. All we know about Yellowstone too. This also kills me when this happens. uh, They have to tease everything out. Where now it's an announcement to say when the season's going to start back. It's just summer 2023. That's all we know. Yellowstone will be back summer 2023. No date announced when it's it's coming. It's like
0: the NFL when they announce when they're going to announce the schedule release.
1: Succession spring 2023. I believe HBO is still not announced to date. That's my favorite show but on is TV. There, is there and it's just a, spring
0: 2023. Is there a rhyme or reason to why both shows are out at the same time? I think he's got so much going on.
1: That it, he's got a show he's working on with uh, Nicole Kidman. But if they're and done. And Zoe Saldana called Lioness about the CIA. He's got so many things happening. I, again, that's why I complained about it. They need a head of scheduling to schedule it out where it's perfectly timed, where one show ends, another one starts. You could have 50 you could have all 52 weeks of the I thought of the that year. was just
0: known. I don't I didn't know
1: we had have scheduling well, I, for that. Again, it's why I complained about it. It should be known. But you's got he's got so many shows. You could have 52 weeks of another show coming out. Once Yellowstone ends, the next prequel starts. Then the next season of the Sylvester Stallone show starts. Then the Nicole Kidman show starts. Then 46's Ranch starts, which is another spin-off of Yellowstone.
0: Crazy. Yeah. I I it's like Game of Thrones, you know, airing their prequel during the final season of Game of Thrones.
1: But it's also I don't like, have
0: which way do I start? I start in 1883 now. I don't have all the
1: time or in the world to sit if and I'm watch binging. every show. So when they cram everything together at once and don't don't separate it out and don't have it weekly, it's like oh I'm gonna fall way behind on these because I have time for about a show and a half a night. So I again, I don't like it. I don't like it, Hutton. Which
0: is the better of the two shows?
1: Honestly, 1923, but it's only four episodes in. So it's a very small snapshot. I mean, I'll say this. Yellowstone's the better show because it's in season five. Yeah. It's got a better body of work. 1923 is better bang for your buck four episodes in. I'm enjoying it more. The time frame, everything about it. Characters, Harrison Ford, Helen Mirren, great acting. I love it.
0: Coming up, Great hoops. Alabama currently the best team in college basketball yes we said basketball we'll discuss the crimson tide and we'll take a look at the Michigan co-offensive coordinator placed on leave another story out of Ann Arbor that's next to now kick 360.